0: what? Last week we talked about peace and Jesus said, do not be anxious. Do not let your heart be troubled. Today, Jesus tells us, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Make up your mind. What can we make of this apparent turnabout in the gospel and words from our Lord? Does Jesus bring peace or not? Does he bring comfort or a sword? In our gospel text, Jesus offers us an object lesson of three things a sword, cross, and a life. They seem like separate things, but they are all related into one thing. Our text is the Gospel of Matthew for today, and Jesus has been instructing his disciples in this chapter, preparing them for what they're getting themselves in for by following him. And it's not going to be a bed of roses because some of those roses are going to have thorns. So he is asking his disciples, are you ready for this? He's asking us, are you ready for this? Are you ready to follow me? Here's what it's going to be like. What Jesus tells his disciples here about the conflict and suffering that follow him will bring applies to us as well. In fact, it applies to any disciple of Jesus. Anyone who follows Christ relates to the sword, to the cross, and to life. And if it hasn't already happened, it will apply to you as well. If you follow Jesus as his disciple, there will be conflict. There will be suffering that you will encounter precisely because you are Christ's follower. The passage starts with the sword. And Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, but I have come to bring, not to bring peace, but a sword. Now this sounds kind of strange to our earth since the last week. We heard him talk about peace and not being anxious. But Jesus has a goal in mind. Jesus did not come to bring peace. There are other places in scripture in which Jesus brings peace. <coughs> Think of his birth. At that time the angels sing and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And doesn't the Old Testament prophesy that the Messiah would be called the prince of prince of peace? So what's up with this I've never come to bring peace? Which is it, Jesus? Even Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, where he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps it's the context or the situation the disciples found themselves in, where it's written in the gospel. Perhaps it depends on what kind of peace you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about an earthly peace, where everything is peaches and cream, where life could be a dream, where everything is hunky-dory, and everybody likes you, where everyone clicks like on your Facebook pictures and doesn't leave mean comments saying, why wasn't I invited to the party? Or nobody tweets mean things about you. If this is the peace, then no. Yeah, Jesus did not come to bring that kind of peace. Basically, when everything comes together for you and you feel at peace with the world, it just means everything's going your way. There are no rifts in your life. Nobody or no thing is invading your your comfort zone, your spaceman. You know, nobody's invading your personal cares. Everything is as you want it. Everything's peaceful. It's copacetic. Jesus did not come and never has offered to make us feel good about ourselves, and to bring that kind of peace between us and the world. No, don't get me wrong. Jesus longs for peace in this world. He does not want a war or racism or bigotry or any other type of human-against-human interaction. But instead of cutting down the dandelion flower off the weed's stem, in other words, sin in this world, He wants to pull it up by the taproot and burn it in the fire. And here is what he says near the end of his ministry in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And again, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In our natural do-what-we-want-when-we-want life, the peace we want and desire in everyday life is based on our ability to arrive and get that peace. It's based on a this-worldly life in living with others to give us contentment, happiness, comfort, whatever we want, and no struggle. In our nature, we strive. And we long for peace. We desire no conflict. But we also demand the things to go our way so there is no strife. We rarely give in just so that there's peace. Or maybe we do, but then there's inner turmoil that'll somehow come out later. There is no real peace. And there is suffering and anger and hatred and conflict because everybody wants it their way. Their way, of course, gets them what they want. And this is what sin is. Seeking only our good, our desire, even at the expense of others. And I'm reminded of that because, like my mom used to say, go play in rush hour traffic because all she wanted was peace. At my expense, she wants peace. In our inmost being, we believe we know what we need to have peace and we seek it out. Our whole life, the life of the human being, is geared towards self-fulfillment, self-pleasure, and self-peace. It's all about moi. It's the only world we know, and so the only peace we know is what we can bring about in our flesh and in our blood. Seeking peace is the basic impulse behind any religious faith. People will follow anything if they know that they can get peace from it. If I feel at peace, that's sort of the determining factor that what I believe is right. But as we heard in the Old Testament, false prophets were saying, peace, peace, peace. I had a dream, peace, peace, and it wasn't true. So all of us seek after peace. The peace found in Christ is different. Jesus knows and predicts that what we find and rely on to bring peace will come to an end. And not satisfy, simply because it is something that we do. Something that we look for in this world. It's a this-worldly peace. What we need is a peace that is everlasting, A peace that does not come from us. A peace that the world cannot give. So in the world, Jesus even tells us there will be no peace, but rather tribulation and trouble. Jesus guarantees it. In this world, in this life, you will have trouble. Not maybe, not possibly, you will. And this is a part of living in this world. The problem, though, is that God's creation, you and me, People in general believe that, one, they are entitled to have peace, two, that it goes their way, three, that they can bring it about. And this is the sword that Jesus is talking about. Jesus' words offer peace. Jesus' life and ministry offers peace. And Jesus' death and resurrection offers peace. But the world won't have any of it. I want to do it my way. I feel more comfortable if I do it myself. They don't want anything of that. They would rather rely on themselves than to admit themselves to be sinners and bow down in repentance and follow God and consider all that they have and have worked for as worthless in comparison to the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that he promises in Jesus Christ. This sword is Christ's words. That convict of sin causes unrest, it causes division, it doesn't cause peace. It causes internal upheaval to know that I'm wrong, to know that I can never be at peace if I do things my way, but only turmoil and anguish and self-reflection that causes rejection of Christ's peace that he offers by the world by families, by friends, and by co-workers. It is considered foolish and fantastical, the kind of peace that Christians have. Not real, but more Disney-esque, to assume there is a peace greater through giving up and placing faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Jesus' point. You will experience a sword in your life for following me. But it is in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this suffering and tribulation, the challenges that the world throws at you that there, that cause unrest and anxiousness, in the midst of division and strife, he is there. He is there. His peace is offered even in the midst of it. And he's present even in the midst of tribulation. But as you offer that peace to others, and as others hear his word, it is a sword that upsets and overthrows and crushes the short-lived selfish peace that the world looks for. It infuriates natural man. It infuriates our sinful man whose sinful nature looks to self rather than God. And the reason is that To a sword is that the peace which he offers causes a war, a spiritual war, inside anyone and everyone who meets Jesus. Because Jesus' peace is not in line with the way that we think. It's not in line with what I want to do my way. This, unfortunately, the peace (coughs) opposes whatever this world offers. This sword signifies conflict, strife, and division that is walking as a disciple of Christ, renouncing false gods, this sword, God's word, buries you with Christ in baptism, only to be resurrected with him in newness of life, as Paul describes. We were buried with him in order to be resurrected with him. And as Jesus promises, this sword will cut, his word will cut through families. Jesus says, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now this is not how it has to be. Thank God for families that stay together and pray together and go to church together and follow Christ together. May the tribe increase. But sadly, that is not the case in every family. In many families, there are some who follow Christ in in faith and others who do not, and that can create strife and division within the family. In some cultures, people who follow Christ are disowned by their families. In some Muslim parts of the world, they're even stoned or killed. The message does not bring peace, but division. We don't have to go to another culture for that example, do we? You've all experienced the pain of division caused by the sword in your own families. A sibling who has left the church, adult children who were raised in the church but who now have abandoned the faith and left the church and taken on the ways of the world. Some grandparents are prohibited from talking to grandchildren about Jesus as parents who were brought up in the church don't want their children to be given books or to be talked about, Jesus. There's the wife whose husband refuses to go to church with her and hear the word of God. The word of God has caused a division, and vice versa. How can you speak your faith of Christ to someone so close and so dear and yet will not listen, who would rather dissolve their relationship with you than to acknowledge their need for God and Christ Jesus and accept true peace? and everlasting life it's a source of pain that over time becomes a dull ache but it's still there and and, and and it goes on how heartbreaking for a christ follower to know the peace of christ and have that same peace and everlasting life act as a sword that divides a family because the family will not listen Yet it happens. Isaiah the prophet tells us in chapter 53, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. But who has believed our report? Why do people not do the only sensible thing and come to Christ and his church and here receive God's gift of salvation? Why will they resent and dislike you because you do? Well, because you are a living, breathing demonstration of someone who knows that they are a sinner in need of a savior. And lots of people don't want to hear that. They think they're good enough on their own and you're a reminder that they aren't. So they resent you, and they don't like to hear that their favored desires may be what God considers sin. So if you identify with Christ in the Bible, and the church, then they're going to take it out on you. Well, don't be surprised, Jesus is saying. It comes with the territory. You are a follower of Christ. And so in the face of this persecution and pain, that Christians experience in their daily life, we Christians also carry a cross. And that's his second object. This is Jesus' second point. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But it's linked with the first one, the sword. Now, a lot of us think that this cross is an ailment, perhaps not allowing us to do and uh, to be a witness for him. It's some type of suffering. Actually, this cross was placed on us in our baptism, where we become one with Christ, where we become his children and follow him, even unto death, through suffering and keeping the faith. We are called to live as Christ's children in the world, which includes suffering. Looked at this way, First John, his first letter, he writes, the one who says he resides in God ought himself to walk as Jesus did. Christians are filled with the peace and love of Christ. Amidst the world of suffering, we live the life of Christ to those around us. It's our cross. The cross, an instrument of torture and death, is putting to death the old man as well in our baptism. The old Adam, if you will, as the scripture speaks. So that daily it is being drowned Daily it reminds us that we are flesh and blood, but we rise to the newness of life in Christ. A cross, a sword, and a life. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If all you're looking for is the best life you can have now, a nice, comfortable life, with no troubles, then ironically, you're going to lose your life. You will not know the new eternal life that Christ has for you. But when you lose your life, when you give up yourself and your own supposed righteousness, then you will rely and really find the truth in Christ's message. Your true life is found only in connection with Christ. For this Jesus, he came to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. Talk about taking up one's cross. He did. Literally. He was lifted up on the cross to do what only he could do, giving up his life to God the Father to bring peace to the world. The sinless Son of God suffered and died for all of sinful humanity. He shed his holy blood to cleanse you of your sins. You are forgiven in Christ. Through faith in him. So now Jesus has a life to give to you. Not a sword. Not a cross. Also a life. It is his life that he gives you. The life that is victorious over sin and death. He is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. And now he lives in you. Joined to you in baptism. And through his Holy Spirit lives in you to strengthen you, to be that witness in the world, to live as his follower, to overcome the sufferings, to carry your cross and live your life for him. Even in the midst of the sword and cross, you have this life that Christ gives to you and you can offer it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.